beginning at verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, a belt of fire and gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. But I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw the great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what it is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men touched my lips and opened my mouth, and I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And I said, and he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, You know why I have come to you, but now we will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. The grass withers and the flowers fall, 
but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we see an aging and frail Daniel being prepared to receive his final prophecy today. As we see this man of God, teach us about yourself, how you answer prayer, how you pray and do battle for us, and how we, like Daniel, living in exile, should live in this present world, living in your Son. Bless now the preaching and hearing of your word, as it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, we jointly pray. Amen. Amen. We find ourselves this morning in chapter 10 of the book of Daniel. As we recall, the book of Daniel has 12 chapters that divide wonderfully into two sections of six chapters. Chapters 1 through 6, you recall, is the narrative of Daniel living in exile, including the interpretation of others' visions and dreams. And the last half, as we are in now, chapters 7 through 12, being Daniel's own visions and the apocalyptic prophecies associated. I don't know about you, but I particularly enjoyed this series, as I did when we went through the book of Revelation, a sister book to Daniel, to be sure. Both books uh, with apocalyptic language, difficult to understand for sure, but yet it's practical and everyday living, demystifying of the message that I hope has been satisfying to you and eye-opening as it has been for me. We continue there this morning with one of the most interesting chapters, certainly in Daniel, but not only Daniel, in the entire Word of God. For what we have in Daniel 10 is nothing but an introduction to the last prophecy of Daniel. Daniel is an aged man at this point, and he's being prepared for the prophecy. However, along the way this morning, we'll see the Lord preparing Daniel, and we'll get some unexpected surprises, how he answers prayer, how important prayer is to the Lord in our lives, a unique perspective on angel and demonology in the unseen cosmic battle going along uh, beside us even now, and some particularly comforting words for exiles, both Daniel in his exile and ours in our exile. So with your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 10, we'll explore this chapter on three fronts in your outline. First, we'll see Daniel's aged mourning in verses 1 through 3. Secondly, Daniel's angelic meeting in verses 4 through 11. And finally, third, Daniel's assuring message in verses 12 through 21. So let's first see Daniel's aged mourning. Famous quote began one of the famous books ever written by a Russian named Leo Tolstoy. You may know the book. He says, as the first line, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own unhappy ways. Of course, this is the first line of Anna Karenina, his famous 800-page novel. And the next 800 pages play out that first line. 
with dysfunctional family after dysfunctional family and glimpses of right living and blessing. And Daniel chapter 10 starts out exactly as Leo Tolstoy started Anna Karenia. Look at verse 1. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. The opening line will now be played out over the next three chapters to the end of the book. Chapter 10, our text, uh, is the introduction and preparation for that vision and that word. Chapter 11 that we'll see next week is the longest of all of the prophecies in the entire word of God. And finally, chapter 12 is a summation of, and an interpretation guide to the prophecy. And notice we also have here a definite, uh, identifiable timeline. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, history tells us at this point, the year is 536 BC. Daniel himself is between 85 and 90 years old when he gets this last prophecy. Isn't it interesting for those of us who are near our, and I would say it with air quotes, but I won't, near retirement age, that the Lord has reserved the longest and most intricate of all of his prophecies in the entire Bible, these utterances in his word to this old, godly, and faithful man. Maybe it's because I am one, but I love old men. <laughs> I love them. Uh, maturing ladies as well, of course, but there's something about a faithful old man that just speaks street cred. We just sang uh, about that and should have, uh, it should uh, haunt us that the golden Eden brightens in the West. Soon, soon to faithful warriors comes their rest. Sweet is the calm of paradise, the blessed. Alleluia, alleluia. Our sovereign Lord has saved this longest and most intricate of all of his prophecies for this old, Old Testament warrior. And it begs the question to us, doesn't it? What might the Lord have in store for you, Redeemer seniors? Could he possibly use you in the same way, in the same time of your life, to accomplish like he does with Daniel, something he could never have imagined and dreamed possible. Has he been waiting and planning to use you in your special and unique time? Will you set the example for the rest of us, creatively and selfishly serving Christ and his people in your aged years? Oh, you're already influencing generations by your faithfulness that you don't even know about. You have no idea what you can accomplish still. In 2005, Lisa and I decided we were going to run a marathon. And we uh, 
practice and bought the books and got our outfits and we ran every day and we decided to go to San Diego with a family and run the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. And if you've ever heard of that marathon, it's pretty cool. They've got a band, a live band at every mile marker, 26 of them along the way. And you, you hear the band as you're approaching and then you hear it as you're leaving that marker and you're, you've got about literally two minutes before you hear the other band in the distance. And it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful experience. But making a long story short, we got separated at the very beginning of the race. And I ran the first half of that marathon like this, looking for the pink hat that my bride had on. And I was looking, where is she, where is she, where is she? Never found her, and I wasted so much energy. I got to about mile 20, and I could not move. And the rest of the way, I literally picked my legs up, and I finally got to the finish line, and, you know, I thought, I'm at least going to run the last 100 meters or so, and then in victory, put my arms in the air, even though my time is embarrassing, but I got to that finish line, and just as I'm raising my hands, I hear over the loudspeakers, ladies and gentlemen, now crossing the finish line, Jerry Marshall, number 1277, 85 years young. <laughs> and I quickly put my hands <laughs> down in embarrassment, beaten to shreds. I don't know what it is that God would want you to accomplish. Maybe it is running a marathon, probably not. But I do know this, serving the Lord Jesus Christ and his people in some way which you are particularly gifted is the way it will go. And he's already preparing you for that service, just like he's preparing aged Daniel in our text. And at the beginning of the text in the chapter, Daniel finds himself in a place that maybe some of us are today, and that's in deep mourning. Look at verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks, and this is quite a mourning. Look at verse 3. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the first three weeks. For three weeks, Daniel is mourning. He's barely eating. Nor did, it's, the text says, did he anoint himself for three weeks. Oils were a staple uh, for lotions and grooming at this time. Protection for the sun, perfumes, etc. And Daniel's simply saying here that for these three weeks, he didn't even make himself presentable. He's in mourning. He's depressed. Now, the text doesn't reveal the reasons for Daniel's mourning, but we can speculate from the dates involved. Two things. First, it's been two years since Daniel's last prophecy that we saw last week in 9, and it's also been two years since the caravans back to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel happened as, the, as God's people headed back to the land. What Daniel had been praying for most of his adult life. Sacrifices shortly began in Jerusalem. The frame of the temple had been laid. And then during our text, 
Two years after that, the king ordered the building to stop. This is recorded in the first four chapters of the book of Ezra. You might want to read it later today. And secondly, we know that his mourning is through the Passover. Verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, this aged man who's given his life for faithfulness knows he will never see the temple rebuilt. Being in captivity for nearly 75 years, he knows he will never return to the promised land or see Jerusalem. The work has stopped. The aged old warrior has done all he can. And as we read the text, we literally feel, don't we, that he's had it. We sense the words of his heart. I'm done. I have nothing left. I'm spent. But little does our warrior know what the Lord has him right where he wants him. Daniel's aged mourning is interrupted, secondly, by Daniel's angelic meeting. And it's nothing he could have possibly expected. You know, I have difficulty sleeping nights before I preach. Jordan asked me this morning, what time did you get here? And uh, I usually get here very early. And it's a wonderful time as the building is quiet. It's usually dark. And sometimes I come up here, maybe practice a little bit or walk around, and I just love being in this room. A <clears throat> number of months ago, a phone call came in uh, a little after 8 o'clock, and uh, I thought, well, maybe this is somebody that wants to come to church and worship, so I better answer it. And sure enough, it was, and I answered thought of that this week as a dear minister, professor, good friend of mine, tweeted last Sunday evening. His tweet said, what a joy to worship in the Holy Land this morning. I am fortunate to be able to visit 52 times a year. He gets it. Listen, brothers and sisters where the word of God is preached, where God's people come to gather together to hear the word, to pray, to confess their sins, to be forgiven, to sing the songs of Zion, to experience the Lord's Supper and the sacrament together, to hear the man of God pray for the people of God to have a benediction and blessing placed upon them. This is holy ground. This is holy land. Do you believe it? Do you live for visiting the holy land every Sunday? I hope you do. I answered the call. Good morning, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. How can I help you? Hi, uh, what time do services start? Oh, well, Sunday school starts at 9. Worship starts at 10.30. Oh, well, we're too late for Sunday school. But can I ask you, um, is the senior pastor preaching this morning? And I said, sorry, no, our associate is. But Dr. Stone will be back in the pulpit with us next week. Great. <clears throat> well, we'll just go out for breakfast this morning and come next week. We really want to see the A-team. 
Great. I understand completely. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for calling. Uh, thank you. And to whom am I speaking? Well, this is Mark, the associate pastor. <laughs> I love that story. It's true, by the way. <clears throat> but this is our text. The Lord knows Daniel and his heart's condition. He knows he needs the A-team. And here he comes in verse 4. Again, the angelic meeting. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing at the brink of the great river Tigris. I lifted my eyes and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words were the sound of a multitude. This is, in fact, the leader of the A-team. Much ink has been spilt, and good men differ on the identification of this man. It certainly is a different experience than Daniel has previously had uh, when the angel Gabriel visited him in chapters 8 and 9. By the way, the mention of Gabriel in 8 and 9 is the first time an angel is mentioned by name in the Scriptures. And we can't help think, can we, that this actually could be a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus himself. As we see, the description here matches the description of that same pre-incarnate Christ in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 1 as he is revealed to the, another uh, man in exile, the apostle John. John says this in chapter 1, verse 10 of Revelation. I, John, was in the Spirit in the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Listen to the uh, description John makes, how similar it is. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest, and Hairs on his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was the voice like the roar of many waters. Sounds familiar. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though like dead. And so would we. You know, we pray all the time, God be with us, and we want the Spirit. If Jesus Christ walked in that back door right now, we would have two responses. They would both be on the floor. One would be fright, the other would be hiding. We also see in the same events with Daniel, don't we? What recently we saw in Acts chapter 9, as Christ revealed himself to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul heard and the Lord speak by himself, and those were with him cowered in fear. Look at verses 7 and 8 in our text. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And Daniel 
reacts in this text exactly like the Apostle John did. Verse 9, Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. I sure want to believe that this is in fact the Lord Jesus in this text. But at the end of the day, although I think it is, I, we must concur, I think, with John Calvin, who says the exact identification of this man is, quote, something indifferent. Because it's the message of, of Daniel's angelic meeting that is most important to Daniel and to us. So in the midst of his, this aged mourning, Daniel encounters the A-team in an angelic meeting, which leads us finally, and I hope to see as fellow exiles with Daniel, the assuring message, or better yet put, the message of assurance. Now, if we're not careful, we'll have a tendency, as many good ministers have done, to take one or two unique teachings in this passage and make them the theme of the passage. There are two specific unique teachings that are very clear in this passage. And make the, and we, but we can't make them the theme and the reason God has put these in here for us. But we must, because we mustn't forget that chapter 10 is not the prophecy. It's the encouraging and preparing of Daniel for the prophecy in chapter 11. The first of these is how the Lord answers prayer. Look at verses 11 through 14. And he said, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, and listen, fear not, Daniel. For from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. It was Daniel's prayer that caused the angelic visitation. He goes on, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came then to make you understand what is to happen to your people. God answers prayers directly and also many times determines the way he answers and they are revealed to us. Oh, how important prayer is to our sovereign Lord the goodness of his answers. The messenger says to Daniel, he has come because of your prayer. But he allowed Daniel to mourn for three weeks while he did spiritual battle with the prince of Persia. Some will take this truth and focus the entire theme around prayer. And it is a vital part of the story. Very important, yes, but not our theme. The same thing with the insight garnered here about the unseen realm of this spiritual fighting and battle. We just spent three days with our youth uh, on a retreat, and we explored this topic deeply with them, this, this 
uh, Satan's devices and how we battle them and this, this war that's going on around us unseen. And this section of the chapter 10 in the book, Daniel, a book of Daniel, is perhaps the most important Old Testament passage about this battle in the scriptures. We see here how angelic and demonic hosts represent cities, nations, people groups, and there's a constant battle for and against us. Look, look at the last two verses of our text, chapter, uh, uh, verses 20 and 21. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you what is inscribed in this book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. There are princes of darkness, princes of light. Lead spiritual captains in this battle, if you will that lead, orchestrate the battle. We even have our own prince and captain identified. The your associated with Michael in this text is plural. He's not saying, Daniel, this is your prince. It's God's people's prince. And we are part of God's people. Again, wonderful teaching, but not the big idea of the passage. As we begin to close, let's not miss the exact words from the man to Daniel, like us, the man in exile. Daniel, for nearly 75 years, has been in exile. We, our entire Christian lives, will end with verses 11 and 19, and let's look at them in context, starting at verse 9. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground, and behold, a hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, by name, man greatly loved Understand these words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. Again, verses 18 and 19. Again, have, uh, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and said, O oh man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I straightened up and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. The ancillary message from the man here uh, to this old struggling saint. The message can't be missed. Deuteronomy 31, 1 Chronicles 22 and 28, Joshua 1, 9, Psalm 27, 31, Isaiah 41, Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, Ephesians 6, 2 Timothy 2, all say, be strong and of good courage. Literally a hundred times throughout the scriptures, fear not is commanded to God's people. And even from the lips of Jesus himself to the first apostles after the resurrection in John 20, listen to the words of our Savior. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. The first thing he utters to his men are, peace be with you. 
when he had said this, what a scene. He shows them his hands and side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so send I you. The words to Daniel, to fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Surely was comforting to him as they could be comforting to us. But as we close, we cannot miss the theme. We cannot miss the glue that binds this passage to our hearts, to our souls. It's the most beautiful words a human soul will ever hear. Do you hear them? Verse 11, one last time. And he said to me, O Daniel, by name, man greatly loved. And 19, he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. It's the man greatly loved that drives the fear away, that gives the peace. We, nor Daniel, are nothing without that love. The word for loved here is a unique word in the Old Testament, only used nine times. It's used six times in the book of Daniel. Once in Genesis 27, for Rebekah's loved and cherished best garment. It's used in 2 Chronicles 20 and Ezra 8 as the most precious and adored of things. We saw it last Sunday used in Daniel 9 as Daniel is greatly loved. And again here in chapter 10, 11, and 19 as Daniel is greatly loved. But we actually missed it earlier in the text. We weren't expecting to see it. Look again at verses 2 and 3 and help me find this word for you, only used nine times. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies. Daniel says he ate no delicacies. I ate nothing I love, I desire, I cherish. In his mourning, in his battle, Daniel won't allow himself what he loves. Our heavenly visitor does just the opposite. Everything that he does is because of this first great love, this great desire for his delicacy. Oh, we can't miss this. One of my favorite theologians said, and I concur, he said, if your theology does not begin and end with the electing love of your father, you have no theology at all. Oh, perhaps you are here. Perhaps you have never experienced this type of love. Could it be possible that you are mourning like Daniel? This is for you, and you already know the verse. For God in this way so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Oh, if you're here and you do know this love, but like Daniel, you may not feel loved. You may be mourning. That love may have waxed cold. This also is for you. Listen to John in 1 John 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. I wish every believer could have one weekend like we experienced here at Redeemer over the last 48 hours. Right here in this room, all of God's people coming together to see a young man and a young woman marry in God's way with blessing and the love of Christ and a love for each other, a token of that love and abiding love for Christ, a room full of others brimming with that love, shouting, yes, shouting, dancing, yes, dancing, feasting, yes, feasting, making merry right here. Then as soon as it ended, that one big happy family going their way, a team of sweaty working men setting up, ladies packing the food away as another one of ours, another one of the family members, a precious few hours later would be memorialized and laid to rest right here. No shouts of celebration. No break dancing. But the same love as that family gathers. This time not to rejoice, but to weep. Oh, are you part of this family? If you're not come, you are welcome. Are you part of that family? Yet feeling at odds? maybe feeling alone and isolated, come on back. We all get there from time to time, don't we? But the family needs you. In 1884, Leo Tolstoy wrote a book that he entitled, What I Believe, and in it confessed the Christian faith, although in Russian Orthodox terms, we hope and trust this was the case. But he did get that first line in Anna Karenina right. Happy families are all alike. They all live and breathe under and because of one truth, the sovereign and electing love of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you indeed are our all in all. 
We read in the Scriptures that we are to be comforted. We read in the Scriptures that we are to fear not and have have peace, just as uh, you told Daniel. Yet, Lord, it's that abiding and constant love that you have for us that's the difference maker in our lives. Lord, may everyone that comes to experience worship and worship you here feel and experience that love. We thank you for this family as uh, marred, as sinful, as flawed as we are. We are yours, and there's no place other we can go, for you have the words of eternal life. Amen. Amen.